There are 167 verses in the Megillah of Esther that we read on the holiday of Purim twice, once in the evening and then again once in the morning. Our sages of the Masora have written a word, a simon, a mnemonic for us to remember how many verses there are and they tell us that the mnemonic for the Megillah Vester is the word Penuel. Comes the question to mind, what is the connection between Penuel and the Megillah Vester? And how does this teach us in our daily life how we are to experience and how to live as a Jew? First and foremost, to begin with Megillah Esther. What is the meaning of Megillah Esther? Megillah Esther is within itself a contradiction. The word Esther means concealment. Why is it called Esther? Because Haster, Aster, I have concealed my name, I have concealed my face from before you. Which is one of the reasons why in the Megillah of Esther there is no name of God. You don't find the name of God in the entire Megillah of Esther, even though this is one of the 24 books of the Bible, of the Tanakh. Not only do you find God's name, you don't even find a kinoi, a nickname of God, like Hanun, Verachum, He is merciful and graceful, etc., etc. So on one hand is Esther, and throughout the entire story of the Megillah, you don't see God until... At the end, you realize how God was involved with every detail, but generally it was a concealment. Furthermore, the Megillah starts with It was in the beginning, in the days of Achashverosh. Who was Achashverosh? A non-Jewish king, the king of Persia, of Pras. And why was he called Achashverosh? It was a nickname. Because in those days, the faces of Israel became darkened and blackened with, with fear and trepidation. So the entire Megillah starts off in a very dark place and there's no name of God and yet it's called Megillah. What does Megillah mean? Reveal. To be Megale. To reveal, to open up. So what is it? Is it concealment or is it revelation? Now, in truth, it's from the darkness, it's from the most difficult struggle in life that one is able to receive the highest level of revelation. What was the turning point in the Megillah? What transformed and changed this terrible decree and made it into a day of, of jubilee and joy and celebration to a degree that the Megillah will never be nullified? It says when Mashiach comes, all the books of the prophets will be nullified. Besides the five books of Moses, Right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the book of Megillah Esther. 
the book of Esther. All the other books will be nullified. What makes Esther so special? What makes this Megillah, this reading so unique that even after Mashiach comes, it won't be nullified? What is the meaning behind this? The turning point in the Megillah was Kimu Vikibla Yehudim. It says in the Megillah that the Jewish people accepted upon themselves to fulfill the entire Torah. In other words, as the Gemara explains, that after the giving of the Torah on Sinai for 1,000 years, the Jews were under duress. They had a good excuse. They said we were forced into it. God took the mountain, put it over our heads, and gave us an ultimatum. You can either keep the Torah or we will smash you like potatoes. That's your choice. And the Jews said, yes, we accept. So really they were forced into it. Now according to Chassidus, it wasn't actually an aggressive and, and, and dark transformation, but rather it was out of love. The God said, I love you so much, and this was basically overwhelming us with love, but even so, being overwhelmed is being overwhelmed, and that's aggression. So, for 1,000 years we had an excuse that we were basically forced into this pact with God, this religion. Came a thousand years later, the story of Purim. Haman said, those who bow down to me will live. Those who do not bow down to me will die. Yet that one Jew bowed down to Haman. The entire nation stood strong and said we, are, we would rather die as a Jew than live as Haman. This was a self-sacrifice that portrayed their inner love to Hashem. Nobody forced them to do it. There was no awakening from above that caused them to do it. But rather, on their own, they voluntarily said, we want to be Jewish. We want to follow the Torah and we're willing to die for this. This statement, this, this commitment to God and Yiddishkeit, the Jews never experienced before. Not at Matan Torah, when the Torah was given, not for the last 1,000 years. It was at this time, in this moment in history, when the Jewish people made this resolve and they were able to reveal this deeper connection that they had with God. This concept of this self-sacrifice is really termed as a goral, a lottery. Purim is called Purim because it's a lottery. What's the lottery? Why is that a good thing? The lottery was to destroy the Jewish people. Why would you call a holiday after the purpose of destruction rather than the remedy of the redemption? And the answer is that really it is the redemption. The redemption was that they stood in a way of self-sacrifice that was beyond nature, which is categorized as a lottery. Just like a lottery makes no sense who wins, but rather it's beyond logic. They were standing steadfast beyond logic to commit themselves to God and to Torah and to mitzvot. And therefore, they reach this level that a Jew reaches on Yom Kippur, which is one day a year. And that's why Yom Kippurim is like Yom Kippur. Purim is Yom Kippurim. Yom Kippur is really like Purim. 
because what is Yom Kippur? It's a day that we are atoned for our sins and we stand before the name of God. We are on such a high level of commitment and connection to God in Yom Kippur that we are beyond all names of God. We stand before and above all names of God. Therefore, we are purified. And this level of standing before God, being purified, is really what the Jews experienced the entire year when their lives were threatened. And that is that they stood steadfast with self-sacrifice and commitment to God beyond logic. And that is the reason why the name of God is not in the Megillah. So the simple reason, according to the Evan Ezra, is because being that the Megillah was translated into 127 different languages in all the different countries, Mordecai was concerned that the the deities, the, the pagans, would translate God in the name of their deity, in the name of their idol. He didn't want to give credibility to the idols of the nations of the world. So he left the name out. Less controversy. According to Kabbalah and Chassidus, the reason why the name was not put in there is because the entire story was beyond the name. A name is a limitation of God. It's a revelation that is limited. But the actual manifestation of God in the Megillah and throughout the holiday of Purim was a revelation that is beyond all names. And therefore, God's name is not mentioned in the Megillah. Because it was a greater revelation than the name of God. So this concept of this revelation of the essence of God was revealed on the holiday of Purim and throughout the entire Megillah. And it went into the days of Ahasuerus. In other words, in the days of a person's daily routine, not only on Yom Kippur once a year when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, but every single day of their life when they were committing themselves to godliness, they were living with this reality of God that manifests itself in the days of Achashverosh. The word Achashverosh also means Achris Vereshis Shaloi. The end and the beginning is His, which is Almighty God. They were living with God every single day, not only on the holidays, not only on Shabbos, but every single day of the weekday, the workday, in the work field. They felt this, this, Connection. They felt this reality, this this observance, and and God's watchful eye and God's commitment to them at all times. So, why is it that when Mashiach will come, the book of the Megillah will not be nullified, and how is this hinted in the book itself? The Rambam says it in Halacha, in the book of Code. But how do we see it? What's the hints in the book itself? So first of all, it says that after the miracle took place, everything was turned over. Haman tried to hang. Mordechai, he was hanged. It was a transformation. 
but Mashiach will come, there will be a total transformation in the world that all darkness will become light. All the bad will be transformed to the good. And this is the ultimate, the ultimate promise and the ultimate goal that when Mashiach will come, we will see the truth and in Hapachu, there will be a total transformation in the world. So much so, it goes on to say in the Megillah that many non-Jews converted to Judaism because they saw the light, they saw the truth. So this idea of Venus Hapachu, as expressed in, in Kabbalah and Chassidus, represents the quality of Ishapacha, that we take our energy that we normally use for negative things or for trivial things, and we take that same energy and now we use it for something holy and something godly and something purposeful. This is a transformation. That is the way the world is going to live when Mashiach comes, that all their energy, all their excitement will be into positive, productive, godly things. Number two is, it says in the Megillah that Mordechai sent out letters of peace and truth. And there was peace amongst all the people. The idea of peace is really one of the blessings that we will experience after Mashiach comes. And this really represents the idea of Avas Yisrael, to love your fellow as yourself. Which is the reason why the temple was destroyed in the first place. Because of sinas chinam, a lack of brotherly love. The temple was destroyed because of unwarranted hatred. And therefore the way we bring back the temple is through unconditional love. So this is again hinted in the Megillah. That's why the Megillah will be even after Mashiach comes. Finally, when we say that all the other books will be nullified, the book of the prophets will be nullified, it doesn't mean we're not going to read it anymore. It doesn't mean that we won't keep it on our shelves. But what it means is compared to the light that the world is going to experience after Mashiach comes, the revelations of the prophets will be like the rays of the sun compared to the sun itself. So the five books of Moses was a greater revelation. So too, the book of Megillus Esther is a greater revelation. It's the essence of God. So these two books, the Chumash, the five books of Moses and the Megillah, which represent the essence of God, the higher revelation, this will be in existence after Mashiach comes. The other books will now become secondary because it's only a book through the prophets representing a lower frequency of revelation. Now let's go back to Penuel. Let's go back to the Simon. Let's go back to the Simon. He said the mnemonic of the book of Esther is Penuel. What does Penuel have to do with the book of Esther? So what's the story that happened over here? Jacob is fighting with a man, an angel. And the angel hits him on his Gid Hanusha. He hits him on his thigh, his sinew. And he now begins to limp. But even though he's in pain, he still overcomes the angel. The angel cannot move. He gives up. He asks Jacob, what is your name? He says, my name 
is Yaakov. He says, no, no, your name is not Yaakov anymore. It is Yisrael. Why? Because you fought with Elohim, with God, and with man, and you overcame them. Why does it mean you fought with God? Elohim, we know, is the gematria for Teva, Teva, which means nature. You fought with nature, you struggled with nature, and you overcame it. Yaakov then says to him, What's your name? And he basically does not respond and he blesses him. The Torah goes on to say, Yaakov called this place Peniel, the face of God, because he saw God face to face and he was saved. And then the, the sun began to shine when he left Penuel. He just called it Peniel, now he calls it Penuel. What happened here? What's the difference between Peniel and Penuel? Now, many commentaries say Peniel was actually the name of the angel that fought with Yaakov. That was his name, Peniel, which is Penuel. So why do we read about Penuel over here as the sign to remember the Megillah? Because really, this is the Megillah. If you put the Megillah into one word, it's Penuel. It's about Jacob fighting with the angel of Esav. Who was Esav? Esav was his twin. But Esav was also the father of Amalek, who was the father of Haman. Haman came from Esav. Haman is trying to beat up on Yaakov, wants to destroy Jacob. And Jacob wrestles with him, and he is victorious. To the degree, to the degree that the angel says to him, you have been victorious. I can't move. What's your name? I'm, I am now elevating you to a new position. You are graduating from Yaakov, and now, because of your hardship, because of your struggle, a new revelation takes place. You are no longer Yaakov, which means the hill, but you are Yisrael, which means you are the head. Lee Rosh. Why? Because you fought with Elohim. Every day you are struggling with nature. Every day a Jew has to conquer nature. And Elohim also represents the entire secret of creation. Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created the world with the name of Elohim, alluding to the tzimtzum, the contraction of creation to take God's infinite light and create a finite world. Every day we're struggling. Is it real or is it not real? Is it world or is it God? Do I follow my temptations or do I curb my temptations and transform them and be productive? And the angel says, you will be productive. You will be successful. Your name is Yisrael. And then his name becomes Peniel. Jacob calls the place Peniel and then Penuel. They're really the same name. The name Peniel means face to face with God. But one is a Yud and one is a Vav. The difference is the Yud represents potential. It's a little dot. The Vav means when you bring the potential down to reality. So Yaakov, by nature, is a person of mercy. When you see a poor man and you have pity on him, you are Peniel. It's only the potential. When you actually put your hand in your pocket and you give the charity your penuel, you took that feeling, that emotion of your, of your sympathy and you brought it into reality. That's the vav of, of penuel. The Tzemach Sedek goes on to explain 
that Penuah means to reveal godliness, the face of God in this world. A level of God that is so powerful that gives us the strength to overcome the evil inclination, to overcome the Haman of our personal life, to be able to, to, to wrestle with Elohim, with, with nature, with Haman, and to overcome this, this difficulty. And it's primarily Jacob, which alludes to the third base of Migdash. The first temple was Abraham. The second temple was Yitzchak. The third temple will be in the merit of Jacob. Also, historically, we are now in the final, final stage right before Mashiach. The body has three stages. The head, the torso, and the feet. The feet represent the last, last generation right before the coming of Mashiach. The ikvus of the Mashiach. And that's why he hit him. He hit him on the thigh. Representing that the last generation is going to have this real struggle. But it's after that struggle that we're going to see the face of God. And it's not only going to be in potential, but in reality it's going to come down, Penuel. And this is the answer to the Megillah. On one hand, the Megillah is about Esther. It's about concealment. Says the mnemonic, you should know, if you read the whole Megillah, and you understand the Megillah, it's not about concealment, it's about Penuel. It's about revelation. These hardships, these decrees, these struggles were not meant to be an end in itself. It was a means for us to rise to a higher level, to become from Yaakov Yisrael, to become from Esther, to become Megillah, and to transform the concealment into Panim, into face-to-face with God. So this is, this is the entire Megillah in a nutshell. It's Penuel. It's wrestling with Haman, who is the grandchild of Amalek, who is the grandchild of Esav. And now we wrestle with the angel of Esav, the spirit of Esav, which in every generation, we are dealing with this struggle on a national level and on a personal level. It's either Achashverosh, which is Persia, or it's our own inside Haman that every day tries to discourage us from what we have to do. And says the Megillah, you should know that you have the power to see the face of God. That this is an opportunity for you to see the face of God. And this is the struggle. That's the purpose of the struggle. The Vashem Tov teaches us one who reads the Megillah backwards does not fulfill his obligation. So there are 10 chapters in the Megillah. If you read chapter 10 first, then 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, you don't do it. You don't fulfill the mitzvah. If you read even chapter 2 to chapter 10, then go back to chapter 1, you also don't do the mitzvah. You have to read every chapter in order. Because when you read each part of the Megillah in order, you're able to see... The, the, the sequel, you're able to see the story how God planned everything from day one that, that Vashti should die and Esther should be in the right place and she should go to the king everything worked out so, per- so perfectly it was like a perfect symmetry a perfect play from A to Z how everything worked out in the favor of Mordechai and in the favor of the Jewish people that's a simple interpretation 
But on a deeper interpretation, Baal says, if you read the Megillah backward, you have not fulfilled the obligation. In other words, if you read the Megillah thinking that it only took place many years ago, before the building of the second holy temple, after the destruction of the first holy temple, when the Jews were in Babylon, but it has nothing to do with us today, you have not fulfilled the mitzvah, the obligation of hearing the Megillah being read on Purim. So you can come with costume, you can get drunk on Purim, you give out shalach manis, you give out charity to the poor, all the mitzvahs. But you read the Megillah backward, you say that this has nothing to do with nowadays, you have not fulfilled the mitzvah, you have missed the boat. When do you fulfill the reading of the Megillah? Knowing that this is pertinent this is talking to us today on a personal level. Not the community, not the family, not the world, me, you, on a personal level. The Megillah is talking to every single one of us. And therefore, we have to know that even though it's Esther, there's a concealment, but we reveal Megillah's Esther, we reveal the concealment. In other words, God who's concealed. Beyond all levels of concealment now becomes revealed if we follow the Megillah, if we realize that we have the power to transform this darkness into light, and this is done through Kimu v'kibla Yehudim, to accept upon yourself a commitment to do another mitzvah, to accept upon yourself a commitment to give a little more tzedakah, to accept upon yourself to light the Shabbos candles, no matter where you find yourself, you're going to light the candles at the right time. No matter how busy you are, you're going to put on fill in the morning. No matter how how difficult it is to make a living, you're not going to steal, you're going to be honest. These are the commitments that the Jews fulfilled when they were in this terrible struggle with, with Haman Harasha, the evil Haman. And by doing so, we're going to have the Megillah Esther, we're going to have the revelation of Esther, which is Penuel to see God face to face and to see the coming of Mashiach speedily in our days. Okay, any questions? Three questions. Three questions. First, didn't Vashti, wasn't she exiled or did she get killed? No, Vashti was killed mm-hmm. by, by She He gave the order that she should be killed. Do I remember she was yeah. sent away from the... Well, as kids in, in the school, they don't want to teach that, that Vashti was killed. Oh. So they, they, they oh, changed yeah. the story yeah. a bit. And Vashti was sent away, but look into yeah, the Megillah, sure. she was killed, of okay, course she was killed. Yeah. Then, if the name of God is not mentioned, yeah. how, where in the Megillah is he revealed? Like, what aspects of the story? Obviously, it's full of, like, yes. as, an, as a storytelling yes. story, it's full of turnarounds and excitements and yeah, so things shifting. It's very interesting you ask that question. The Gemara has a whole debate when exactly the miracles began. Yeah. And, and yeah, the halacha yeah. is, the law is, that when we read the Megillah, when we get to the verse, on that night, the sleep of the king was interrupted. We say that represents the king of the universe. That his sleep and slumber was interrupted. And he woke up and he now began to bring about the, the revelation of the miracle. But really, Which every part detail... Was that when his sleep was interrupted when, when Esther went to him? Or no, that was before, that was before. That was before Esther came to him, even before Esther came to him. 
when he couldn't sleep one night and they asked to read the oh, book yeah, yeah, yeah. of Chronicles and they read how Mordechai saved his life. They said what to do with Mordechai and, and therefore Haman had to, had to bring Mordechai through the streets. So at that moment, says Belay at that moment was the turning point of the miracle. But you know what's weird? Yeah. There's so little in this particular interpretation, even though concealment means probably Esther concealing that she was Jewish till the end. Right, right. There's so little mention of Esther in a way. Like in of her like why was she picked? Why was she so beautiful? Why was she there? Like there's so many mysterious female issues, feminine issues of like it's funny that, you know, in this deep, this profound interpretation, yet it's not like somehow she's not, like her name barely came up as a... As yeah, the a, entire, as a, the entire book is called, it's called Esther, yeah. the entire book. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. called Esther Mordechai, it's called Esther alone. Yeah, implying yeah, that it was, it was Esther who was really the, the uh, heroine of the Clearly, entire that's what I'm saying, and yet, episode. But if you think about it, she was there. She 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 was part and parcel, and no, she went to the king. That's why I'm mentioning it. Yeah. I'm thinking about it, and yeah, obviously, sure. mm-hmm. and yet she, in this interpretation of Penula, Penulo, Penuel, Penuel, like, and there and this revelation, yeah. she's not like considered like the like the the vehicle for the like the. Penuel is only one word at the end of the entire Megillah after 167 verses. It's not part of the Megillah. It was written by the rabbis of the Mesorah somewhere between the sixth and uh, the seventh and the tenth century, and um, it's a word to remind us of the entire Megillah. But at the same time, it doesn't undermine anything about Megillah's Esther. But that's only one word. It doesn't change the fact that the Megillah is called Esther. When did that one word become associated? So I told you somewhere between the seventh. Sorry, and the 10th century. Okay. When the rabbis of the Masorah began to put down these these mnemonics as a remembrance. I mean, and it's a widespread idea? Yeah, every, every, every chumish and every Megillah that's printed, you have it today. You have all these mnemonics from every parsha and the mnemonic for the Megillah, yes? It's Penuel. And, and it doesn't equate to 167 in any way. It does. The it word does. Penuel equals 167. The mantra is 167. Yeah. So Pei is 80, Nun is 50, Vav is 6, Aleph is 1, Lamed is 30. That's where that word was chosen. I mean, yeah. Okay. As a remembrance for 167 verses in Esther. Okay. Got it. Okay, any last questions? Yeah, yeah, Nikava, Kramiva, 